I'm Paul Heron, and this is episode 41 of the Ani Isnin podcast. Today, we'll explore the relationship of Ani Isnin and her fellow musketeer Lawrence Duro, which began in 1936 and lasted until the end of Nin's life 40 years later. The narrative you will hear is from a paper I delivered to the Durrell Society in June 2022, which is also represented in a new YouTube video series, Catching Up with Ani East Nin, which I hope you'll check out. So, here we go. I was meaning to interrupt, but he calls himself the priest of love. That's it, yes, yes. Please finish what you were saying. Well, I mean, I was only saying that um, we're trying to compare an Apollonian artist to a Dionysiac, and it's very hard to do in a sense. They're both at the same level, but for different reasons. Like comparing a male writer to a female, you know? But the Dionysiac writer wakes the Dionysiac element in us, whereas... As most of you probably know, Annie Eastine met Lawrence Durrell through her friend and lover, Henry Miller, in 1937. What followed was a 40-year friendship that's not much discussed these days, certainly rarely analyzed. Today, with the help of two recent publications, Letters to Lawrence Durrell, 1937-77, by Ani Eastneen, and The Diary of Others, The Unexpurgated Diary of Ani Eastneen, 1955-66, I'd like to change the dynamic a little. The seeds for the friendship between Neen and Durrell were sown in 1935, when Durrell was given a copy of Miller's recently published Tropic of Cancer. He was blown away by the exuberant and life-affirming, if not shocking, text. He wrote Miller a fan letter, thus beginning a robust and lifelong friendship. At the time, Ani East Neen was 33 years old, had been in France for 12 years, and was the author of two books, D.H. Lawrence, An Unprofessional Study, and The House of Incest. It was the latter book which Miller had sent Durrell that began the Neen-Durrell connection. The two wrote letters that included mutual admiration, encouragement, and plenty of literary analysis. In her first letter to Durrell, dated January 3, 1937, Neen lauds his prose piece, Christmas Carol, to the extent that she says, It made me want to throw my house of incest into the Seine. I want you to know that you've done something amazing, reached into a world so subtle, almost evanescent, caught a climate so fugitive, the fairy tale, the dream, the life directly through the senses, the odor of fantasy pure, the clairvoyant phrase, beyond the weight of words, music, and rhythm. I'm trying to imagine what sort of impression such praise from a writer of a book as mystical as the House of Incest had on the young Durrell, but it must have been uplifting. In March 1937, after having read the Black Book, Neen wrote that it's a banquet, a Dionysian feast. A few days later, she adds, tonight, sitting under the lamplight, Henry painting watercolors, the stove so red, The atmosphere is too slack. I feel that I know you. What really caused the slackness was the word faith. It's one of my favorite words. We're all sitting around the table sharing faith. In April 1937, Durrell wrote to Neen, I feel a pig 
if I don't write and tell you what a splendid writer you are. It was that last thing you said, the Dionysian little birth scene. That rang a bell and returned the penny. I've always dreamed up a sort of hypothetical goal which the woman writer would reach. Durrell met Neenan Miller in person in Paris in August 1937. They dubbed themselves the Three Musketeers. The Musketeers decided to publish their new books in what they called the Vila Surat series. In 1938, Durrell's Black Book was published, then Miller's Max and the White Phagocytes, and finally in 1939, Neen's The Winter of Artifice. All three were published by Jack Kahane's Obelisk Press and financed by Durrell's wife, Nancy. Of Neen's Winter of Artifice, Durrell wrote, I wept a bit because this is the first book in Europe which belongs to a female artist, and it is bitter. I was not concerned so much with the interplay of characters, but thought all the time how female it was, how the gift was total, always, unreserved, not withheld. After meeting Durrell, Neen wrote in her diary, I've known Lawrence Durrell for a thousand years. He is immediately a friend. One can talk about everything, and at the same time, there's no need of it. It was around this time that Dean recorded a memorable diary passage about the Musketeers having an artistic conversation in a cafe. Let's listen to a read part of it. When they discussed the problem in my diary, all the art theories were involved. They talked about the geological changes undergone with time and that it was a product of this change that we called art. I asserted that such process could take place instantaneously. Henry said, but that would upset all the art theories. Larry, who before had praised me for writing as a woman, for not breaking the umbilical connection, <laughs> said you must rewrite Hamlet before you do anything else. <laughs> Why should I? I said, if that is not the kind of writing I wish to do. Larry said, because you must learn to make the leap outside of the womb and destroy all connections. <laughs> I know I say that this is an important talk and that it will be at this moment that we each go different ways. Perhaps Henry and Larry will go the same way, but I will have to go another, the woman's way. By 1938, the threat of war was heavy in the air and the following year it scattered them. Neen to New York, Miller to Greece and then New York, and Durrell eventually to Alexandria, where his experiences would inspire his greatest fiction. While Durrell and Miller continued their correspondence throughout the war, Neen fell out of touch. In June 1957, Neen wrote about the estrangement from Durrell. An absurd accident had cut the thread between us. During the war, he found himself needing money. He wrote to Henry, it was at the time I was drowning in debts. I couldn't help. The guilt paralyzed me. Then Gore Vidal told Neen about Durrell's Justine. She was impressed enough about the book to declare it a phenomenon. This is not writing, but witchcraft, she gushed to Durrell in an October 1957 letter, her first in many years. The correspondence resumed and a new phase in their friendship began. When Neen's East Coast husband, Hugh Geidler, 
entered one of his experimental films in the Brussels World Fair in 1958. It paved the way for Nien to revisit Europe for the first time since 1939. She immediately informed Daryl that she would like to see him. In the meantime, she had begun reading Balthazar and wrote to Daryl that it's again a feast for the intelligence, for the senses, for the heart, an opinion that would change. But first, the visit, which she describes in a letter to Rupert Pohl, her West Coast husband. The Durls have a small peasant house, but a lovely garden. They grow all their vegetables. No hot water, no bathroom, no WC. You cool bottles by lowering them into the well. They took me to an arena where bulls wear tassels on their horns and the men have to remove them for a prize. They drink red wine from morning till night, which keeps everybody glowing, but never really drunk. Durrell has known so much poverty that he's obsessed with succeeding. He's been compared to Proust already in France. We talked nonstop for two days and I returned this morning tired out but with my spiritual batteries recharged for years to come. I had to see Durrell to complete the Carnet de Bal. No one could be homelier and so humorous. He has an Irish prize fighter face, a thick potato nose, a large head on a small body, shorter than I and as fat as my brother. He hates cities, loves the sea, used to have a boat, and now they paddle a canoe down the river and swim. Neen revisited Durrell later that year, this time with Rupert Pohl. She noted in her diary that Durrell seemed somewhat distant, and later in a letter she told Durrell she felt something was wrong. One wonders if this disconnect was behind her reassessment of Balthazar in September 1958 when she wrote, I have decided that Durrell is a brilliant cheat who does not have a deep knowledge of character. It shows in Balthazar that he's a soi-disant psychiatrist. He promised relativity of truth, but that lies in acceptance of subjectivity, and that means introspection, going inward, and he is not. In spite of her doubts about Durrell's writing and his feelings towards her, she asked him if he would write a preface to her novel, Children of the Albatross, which Peter Owen was publishing in London. Despite his rigorous schedule and the pressure of continuing the novels of the Alexandria Quartet, in a note to her, he said, of course I'll do you a preface. By when should I send it in? Little did they know that the preface would be disastrous. Neen had said Durrell was not one to go inward, and Children of the Albatross was an unconventional novel, to say the least. It was psychological in its approach, heavy with symbolism, without a concrete plot, and was based on Neen's relationships with what she called airy young men in the 1940s. Durrell was definitely not the right choice to preface such a book, and unsurprisingly, what he wrote revealed to Neen that he didn't understand the novel. This was something she extrapolated to mean he didn't understand her work in general, or in the end, her. She took it personally. In one of her first letters, she had warned Durrell about faith. When she detected Durrell's lack of understanding, it was judged as faithlessness. However, the preface rewritten was used 
and because of Durrell's newfound fame, it helped sell the book. But Neen remained disillusioned, and Durrell was bemused by her attitude. As the years passed, Neen reflected on the friendship, and while editing her diary, she relived the Paris years of the Three Musketeers. In 1966, she wrote to Durrell, I was once more pained by the great change in you towards me and would like to understand it before it's recorded in the diary as a mystery. In the diary of 1934-39, as I told you, all is trust and understanding. What happened? Is it my fault? Have I been remiss? Won't you take the time and patience to clarify and restore a friendship that was so precious to me? Sometime later, Durrell wrote, What went wrong, I have no clue. Sometimes one quite inadvertently hurts friends and loses them without meaning to, and spends the rest of their life in puzzled meefulness, chewing the cud and wondering. Not me, toujours, here I am, your old friend. In 1970, Annie Dean was diagnosed with cancer, a disease she would fight for the next seven years. As the illness weakened her and slowed her down, she seemed to let go of some of the old grudges she held for certain people, Durrell included. Their correspondence softened and their friendship deepened. In January 1974, she was subjected to an aggressive radiation treatment that incapacitated her for weeks. In spite of the setback, she agreed to participate in a seminar Durrell was leading on D.H. Lawrence in Pasadena in March. The rapport was humorous and witty, and each had moments of brilliance. Let me share a brief audio exchange that focuses on Dean's family's negative reaction to her having written a book on Lawrence. But uh, you had that problem too. You say you nearly lost your family because of writing a book about Lawrence. Well, <laughs> and tropical cancer was uh, when I smuggled copies uh, into England to distribute to other writers. I smuggled six or seven copies. I was facing two years in prison, firm. But here you have. Well, tell us about the family. Oh, there was nothing. There was just simply this uh, condemnation for writing about Lawrence. They were ashamed. Because this was a period, you know, but you when come they, from a family of artists, uh, musicians, but who <laughs> 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 <We> don't read. <laughs> the seminar would be the last occasion for the two to see each other. During the last few months of Dean's life, Durrell announced he planned to adapt House of Incest for French TV. The idea of which gave her great pleasure. Their final letter exchanges were warm and tender. They had come full circle. Annie Eastine died January 14, 1977, in Los Angeles. On February 7, 1977, Lawrence Durrell wrote a letter to Rupert Paul expressing his feelings about Annie Eastine, part of which I will now read. It seems appropriate, Rupert, that I should address a message to the shade of Annie East's care of you, since so often during the last years she told us, and when we were with you, we saw how greatly your devoted magnanimity helped her surmount the ravages of her illness in order to continue her work on the diaries upon which her future renown will depend. 
I myself, knowing her pretty well, could not help but marvel at the frightening tenacity and singleness of purpose which drove her on, kept her on course. In all this, it was the stout right arm and the chivalrous self-abnegation of yourself, Rupert, which made possible this massive attack on the central citadels of art by this beautiful witch-like woman whom we called our third musketeer. So we have lost our woman musketeer, and the loss is psychically a heavy one for this small group of friends. She was our Aramis, the slim and delicate and aristocratic one, the born dualist. We lumbered about around her, busy about our own work, but Annie East was always there with some vital message, something which awoke and informed us, something which enriched us. She had the grand style in her life and in her work. She told me how she had at last learned the bitter lesson of mobilizing her reserves of physical strength almost to a countdown of seconds. At Pasadena during a seminar which went on far too long, she said to me under her breath, Larry, I have about 11 minutes before I must simply lie down or collapse. Let's wind this up. Don't worry, Rupert will be there to fix me up. And of course you were there. Meanwhile, she had lectured and answered questions for nearly two hours, greeted students, performed several small acts of spontaneous kindness to timid pupils. In fact, nobody could have noticed how ill she was, so splendid was her beauty and her bearing. Her work is there now for us to read in many languages, and her role in the modern world is a fruitful one. She taught that women must put a high price on themselves and demand the right to be free, but that in doing so, they should not lose their femininity. For the whole civilized world of good values upon which our children will depend for their growth and mental well-being is precisely the work of the feminine element. And a world without real women in it to guide and nourish and inform its values will fall apart. I am so happy to have lived in the same small moment of time with her, and I hardly dare to mourn her death. I seem to see that mischievous small smile with its sardonic edge and hear that quiet laugh. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and encourage you to check out my Ani Eastneen channel on YouTube under my name, where you'll find the new Catching Up with Ani Eastneen video series. Letters to Lawrence Durrell is available on Amazon.com. I'm Paul Heron. Thanks for listening. Until the next time.